first half. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts, hosted by myself, Chase, and my co-host, James. You can find us on atthehive.com and on Twitter at ChaseWhitney underscore and at British Buzz, respectively, if you feel the need to do so. On today's episode, we will be discussing the resurgence of Malik Monk and his development as a Hornets this, this season, and as well as the future implications that they may have on Charlotte's backcourt with himself and Devontae Graham, both due for a contract extension this offseason, and Terry Rozier with only one year left on his deal following this season. But before we get into all that, how are you doing today, James? I'm doing great. I'm doing very well today. I'd say this is the best week I feel uh, in the last, last few. There's been a lot of good things happening. I, uh, as I was telling you beforehand... I picked up Kevin Porter Jr. last night in the Fantasy Basketball League, that the Hive League. There you go. Very happy with his performance last night. As soon as Eric Gordon went down, I was like, yeah, Kevin Porter Jr. The Rockets want to stink. They're going to play him 30 minutes tonight. And it's happening. Yeah, and he's basically their point guard now, too, because they, exactly. they literally don't have one. <laughs> then um, we have, and I told you last week that I'd be really upset if we didn't get any reviews on the podcast. We have four five-star reviews. That. Four five-star reviews. And a shout-out to, to Nick, another British Hornets fan who, who gave us a really good review. So shout-out to Nick. I'm trying to convince Nick to come on the pod or to at least submit a question. So uh, hope, hopefully he'll be on in a few weeks or he'll get a question in. And, um, yeah, so absolutely great. Have that. Thanks so much. And uh, if, you, if you meant to last week and you forgot, you know what? It's not too late. There is no deadline. It's right? never can, too late. Never too can, late. You can go do it right now. So, and I promise you, this is going to be the last week for at least a little while. That I'm going to plug that. So, um, and then finally, um, I finally got myself some media access to Hornets games this week for some of the hardcore fans who might have watched the the post game interview with with JB uh, after the Detroit game. Um, it was about three a.m. And I was like, nope, I gotta, I gotta do it. <laughs> it's gonna He's be my first time. So, um, yeah, I am, I am doing well. So, at the Hive Live is now tuned in live at press conferences to get you that news. So that's very exciting for for us going forward. Right at the forefront of breaking news. That's that's what at the Hive provides for all of you listeners, and for the very low cost of zero dollars and zero cents. Always remember how much we love you. You want to roll into the uh, the Malik Monk discussion? Before, before we lose all these people trying to get them to review our podcast. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, Malik Monk. I believe the point we've got on our agenda is where are we at with Malik Monk, which, uh, which, is, which is appropriate. So I think it's not, it's obvious to say like Malik is having his best season of his career. And I did a lot of digging into numbers and it doesn't matter what you look at, PER, VORP, WARP, SHMORP, whatever else you want to do. <laughs> like it's all better. Um, after digging more into the numbers, my kind of overall recap without going into too much, and I will go into some of the details, that he's just shooting the ball better, right? That's mm-hmm. basically it. He's not getting to the rim quite as much. He's not taking quite as many mid-range shots. Um, he's actually finishing at the rim a lot worse than in the previous year. I think he's down to 52% from 64% last year, which is sneaky underrated. I feel like everyone's like, oh, well, part of his games have got better. Actually, his rim finishing has gone down, which is which is interesting, but 
his three-point shooting is just so incredibly good that it just makes every kind of efficient efficiency stat jump off the page, like 58% from corner threes, 48%, 44% non-corner. So that's kind of my very, very brief recap is Malik is just shooting the ball a heck of a lot better this year, and he's he's relying on that and taking more shots. That's kind of where I'm at with Malik Monk. He is he is doing much better shooting the ball. It's it's a flaming hot take, but it is it's not a flaming hot take, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's basically what it comes down to for me as well. Like when he was coming out of college, that was his calling card. Like he was, I think he took like 11 threes per 40 minutes at Kentucky and shot a really good percentage on them. That was like basically all he did was just launching from deep. That was the clear, clear cut NBA skill for him. And his first three years in the NBA, he started at 34.2%. And then it only, his three-point percentage steadily declined from there until it was at 28.4 last year. And for that to go up, that's like from 28.4 to what he's at right now is 43.7, which is 14th overall in the NBA among players that take three threes per game. Like that, that speaks, I think it's not only him developing as a shooter, like it's him developing as like a person. Like he's just way more confident playing this year. He seems a lot more loose when he's out on the court and just more comfortable to do what he needs to do. Uh, he seems to know like exactly why he's out there, which is to score the ball and make plays. And that's really what he's done. His rim finishing has gone down quite a bit, which is interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause I wanted to talk about that. He's only 14th percentile in the NBA right now. Yeah. Which was, and he's 60, he was 62nd percentile last year. Last year. That was all he could really do. And yeah. he's doing it well. Like he just got downhill and finished like through contact around bigs, like he, it was his absolute number one strength in his game was, was getting to the rim. And you heard, it's just interesting how, like, if you think if he could get back to where he was last year, attacking the paint, and then also have the outside shooting of this year. I mean, you're then talking about a, a high teen scorer like per game. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, right now he's at 21.3 points per 36 minutes. And that's like what, like we said, with the, drastically decreased finishing at the rim like if he was just say like an average his second year in the league he was exactly average 50th percentile 59 percent at the rim if he was doing that like his scoring numbers especially like per 36 would be way higher his efficiency would be way higher than it already is which is pretty much career highs no matter how you look at it unless it's finishing at the rim like he he the, the steps that he has taken this season is probably the most like impressive aspect of the Hornets this year even with how good LaMelo has been because nobody like at the beginning of the season like the first few games Malik didn't play at all we were everybody had kind of like resigned to the fact that like oh we might just trade this guy and get like a conditional second round pick at the deadline because we're not going to give him minutes yeah right like I I liked Malik and I also thought that that was going to happen but I mean he he got back in I think it was in the Toronto game and as soon as he got back in he showed that he should be there and I mean, credit, just really just credit to him for, you know, stick, especially after having like a rough three years, just coming on and just exploding and not really not letting up like at all. He hasn't had that many bad games. He's going to have some where he doesn't shoot well, but he hasn't had many like stinkers where you're like, oh, we got to get Malik off the floor, which those, you know, those happened in his first three years. Absolutely. And I think I remember during training camp of rookie year, I had someone from the Hornets tell me off the record that Malik, cannot hit a shot when he pulls up off the dribble, but off the catch, it looked good. 
But we never really even saw that manifest itself too much because really his shooting was just bad off the dribble and off the catch really yeah, for the yeah, first really. couple of years. And I was, I was just pulling up these stats now on, on pull-up shots. And for this year, he's shooting 36% on pull-up three-point attempts uh, and 48% on catch and shoot. So that's kind of idea still rings true. Like you see, like Devontae Graham, I'm guessing without looking at the stats, is probably someone who maybe shoots better off the bounce or if not, you know, very similar. Whereas Malik does look like a much better shoot when he's got his feet set. But even kind of looking back from last year, he was at 31% on catch and shoots and 22% uh, pull up. So he's, he's always been a better catch and shoot player. And I think now he's getting to play with Devontae Graham, Lamelo Ball, kind of multiple ball handlers. Because uh, I think he's played like a third of his minutes at small forward this year, yeah. um, which you know, if that's the case, then he's got two guards next to him. He's getting more of those catch and shoot opportunities. Uh, and like you say, right now, 48% from catch and shoot three. I mean, that's just elite three marksman territory in the league. Yeah. And plus, I mean, right now, his pull-up numbers, like it, it's, it's solid. I don't think it's anything spectacular on a, on a league sale, but that like pull up, pull back, like step back jumper that he has where he's just in, in like in dribbling up in transition and then just stops on a dime and drags his leg back. That's, that's become like a pretty reliable shot for him. He seems to take and usually make like at least one of those per game. And I mean, he's definitely more of a stationary shooter, but like, like we've said, like everything in regards to shooting except for at the rim has, has improved for him. And, Foul drawing was another thing. And that's, yeah. that's connected to the, at the rim, I think at the rim finishing and then also just lowering his frequency of drives and relying more on that three. I think his, you know, his foul rate has dropped a little bit and like Malik is so explosive as an athlete and he's got good, such kind of body control when he's in the air and got good dribble moves. I, I do think he could get to the line more. So th there's, there's more for Malik to make up here. There's more kind of low hanging fruit, I think for Malik yeah. uh, for the rest of this season that there's, there's, you know, and he's, he's proved he can do that before. I think another thing important to note as well is it's not like Malik is just putting up stats and the team isn't playing well. Like when he's on the court, the team has a plus 4.2 net rating. And that is the first time in Malik's career that the Hornets have a plus net rating when he's on the floor. Last year, I think he was minus six. The year before, he was minus 1.2. In his rookie year, he was like minus 15 when he was on the floor. So, you know, when he was out there, the team was, was losing more games than they win. And now he's, he's contributing to the team, making it better. And I think that's important because the type of player Malik is, like high volume, doesn't defend all that well. You could view him as like, a, oh, he's putting up stats, but is he really helping his team win? I, I actually think he really is helping the team. I mean, but when a lot of people are out injured and had COVID just before the All-Star break, I mean, Malik probably won them three games or so just with his play individually. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that he is. And I think part of uh, like him just becoming more of an impactful player on winning his playmaking seems to have gotten at least like a little bit better. I don't think the, like, he doesn't have a good uh, like assist to usage ratio, which, you know, kind of implies that he's not passing a ton, but when he's out there, like he is a pretty decent pick and roll ball handler. Like there are times where he plays on the court with like Terry and like a Martin twin or something. And he's the point guard when, when that's happening, like, he, he's the one that was responsible for getting others involved in the offense. And, you know, that's not always something easy to do when you're 
playing point guard on a second unit, but I think he's done pretty well with the reps that he's been given in that. He seemed, he seems like he's a really good pocket passer on pick and roll. It's like, he can just go around the corner and just one handed rock, put some like rocket, like right in the center's hands, like right where they needed to be when they're rolling to the rim. That that's been a pretty nice development from him. He was always like a kind of a good playmaker, but he's, he's definitely picked up the ancillary aspects of his game. Like rather than just like the scoring has obviously gotten way better and that's, the the nice the best part because that's what he's going to be as a player if he's going to fulfill his potential but the supporting skills have definitely gotten better too and you mentioned his defense still not great but i think his off ball defense has gotten like way better i think it's like gotten to the point where it's like one of the more underrated aspects of like a hornets players game like he's he's really not like bad like he's he's just like average or like slightly below average for a guard and like he's six three so he's probably not ever going to be like a fantastic defender but with that athleticism that he has you'd think that eventually it will start to fill out and i think off ball we're seeing that now because he's definitely a little more engaged than he used to be at least yeah no i completely agree i think malik's taken real steps in in key areas of his game um he's giving a lot of value to this team and I mean, if you're happy, kind of, unless you've got anything else there, we can kind of move on to where it links into the the wider guard rotation. Um, because I think this is where it gets interesting. I mean, just you saw the other night in that uh, Detroit-Charlotte game, I, I was looking at the minutes played, right, by the four guards. Because that's the first time, really, that Lamelo's established himself as a starter and, um, like, he was playing heavy minutes. And Lamelo only played, what was it here? Uh, 29 minutes. Terry Rozier played 31 minutes. So not like, not really heavy. But in that time also, uh, Devontae Graham only played 18 and Monk played 17. So like right now, unless you're not playing Terry Rozier or Lamelo 30 minutes a game, it looks like the most that Malik's going to get is 17 a night. And the most Devontae's going to get is 18 a night. And I think that it's the first time we've had to kind of asked the question of, oh, like, is, is that kind of momentum Malik had going to stop with this playing time? So what are your thoughts on that kind of four-guard mix and, and where did the Charlotte go from here? Well, just right off the bat, what catches my eye is, I, I, you're definitely right in that, like, there's going to be a cap on probably specifically Devontae and Malik's minutes because they just have, they've been the two, like worst performers of the four guards that they have, which doesn't mean they've been bad, but Terry and LaMelo have been really good. But I think one solution to that would be um, there's a certain backup center on the Charlotte Hornets that was not signed to, to be a rotation player that got 14 minutes in that game. Um, maybe that those 14 minutes could be re- redistributed uh, throughout our two talented guards. But I mean, I, I understand like, like I, that's probably not going to happen like consistently on a night to night basis and that they probably need, the certain backup center that I don't feel comfortable slandering anymore because we've been having to do it all season. But like, I think just generally like it's, it's, it, it sucks for Devante because this kind of is really only happening because he got hurt for like a month, but he, the, it's, it's a hard dynamic between the four of them because obviously you're going to play LaMelo 30 minutes like every night that's not going to change you have to play terry 30 minutes every night and that's not going to change and the only way to like play those two is if like one of them is having a bad night to just pull them and you can't really do that to lamello because a he's just like a rookie and that's we've we as we saw with malik pulling a rookie when they make mistakes that doesn't always help like it helps your basketball team but in the short term in that game but the long term it, it might not be the best so i think like 
they're just going to have to very carefully balance like playing those two like more when they're hot and also not taking the minutes away from two of their three best players basically because that that's that's what it comes down to is like even if you want Devontae and Malik to play they have to be taking minutes from two of your three best players and like that's just not something you can really do like and you, you also can't play the four of them together obviously because then your second tallest player on the floor is Lamelo at 6'6 playing the four so it, it, it this offseason is going to be really interesting or and I guess even the second half to see how they play going into a contract year for Malik and Devontae and the year before you're in a contract year for Terry. So I've got a little bit of trivia time for you, Chase. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I did is I went on the clean in the glass and I, cause whoever, whoever we're going to invest in needs to fit with Lamelo long-term as a starter, right? That, that is the most important thing. Lamelo is in cement. Like, I don't know what's stronger than cement, but whatever it is, he's cemented <laughs> yeah. there uh, is the starting point guard. So I went on to clean the glass and I looked at lineups with Lamelo ball with Monk Lamelo Ball with Devontae and then Lamelo Ball with Rozier, okay, as the two kind of backcourt teammates. In terms of net ratings, how would you rank those? What order do you think they'll rank in in terms like best net rating down to worst of those three? Uh, I think probably Devontae, Monk, and Terry, maybe. In that order from top to bottom? Yeah, yeah. Just because I don't, not that it's like, I think Terry is like a bad fit or like bad with Monk, but Terry typically has one of the lower net ratings on the Hornets. Tick, so that's, tick, that's tick. Kind that's, of what... that's three out of three. So there we go. There we go. You got go. it right. Well done. Yeah, to, to break down some numbers, numbers. so there's some various different sample sizes here, I will say. Um, the, the best one is Lamelo and Devonta Graham. Only played 91 possessions, which is practically nothing, really but it's plus 33, <laughs> which is pretty hundredth, <laughs> hundredth percentile in the whole league. Like one of the best two man lineups in the whole league right now, but 91 possessions. We need to see that. We need to see that expanded. And I think second half of the season, we have to see those two playing together because we have to find out, is that legit that those two are just absolute terrors for other teams? Or is that just small sample size theater, which is, which is skewing the numbers. Next we've got Lamelo and Monk which is plus 6.8, and that's in 583 possessions. Okay, that's the largest sample size we've yeah. got right now, which is which is pretty big, and that's a pretty good. Plus 6.8, that's that's pretty good. Then last, we've actually got Terry Rozier, which is minus 1.2 in 170 possessions. All right? So actually, the, the worst of those by quite some way. And interestingly, though, I will say, of those 170 possessions, 45 were, were playing with Biz, and the Hornets were minus 43 in those, <laughs> in those Bayombo minutes. So yeah. if you took out the biz numbers, that, that Terry number isn't so bad, but I, I wasn't going to go through and take out biz for all of them. Um, but ultimately, like off the basis of the figures, the one you got most sample sizes is Monk. You know Lamelo and Monk is going to be beneficial, right? And we talked about Monk's ability with catch and shoot, and we know he's going to get those with Lamelo. Graham, we just have to, I think that's one of the big things we need to see the second half of the season. We have to get a better sample size of Devonta Graham and Lamelo Ball together. Terry and Lamelo, they're going to get a good sample size because they're starting together now and I think will be probably for the foreseeable future until there's an injury or COVID pause. So I think we're going to get more possessions of that. But it, it just thought it was an interesting way to kind of look at it. Of where do we go long term? Well, this is how they currently fit next to Lamelo at the moment. Yeah, and that that's 
by far the most important thing is how they fit next to Lamella. I, I just I'm looking up at a, uh, looking it up on Clean the Glass right now. The shooting frequency at the rim for the any Lamelo and Monk lineup is they take 40.7% of their total field goal attempts at the rim, which is 92nd percentile in the NBA. They don't finish them very accurately, only 61 per, or 60.1%, but which I think has partly to do with Lamelo and Monk both not being like great finishers yet. Lamelo is clearly better than we expected. Monk's taking a step down, but if those things kind of go back to average Lamonk or Monk gets a little better. Lamelo gets stronger, more co- just generally more used to finishing around ma- massive NBA centers like Rudy Gobert and Embiid and all that. Like, I think that accuracy will go up. And what that, I think what that tells you about their offense is like, they're doing exactly what James Borrego wants. Their, their shots are at the rim, like layups, floaters, stuff like that dunks a lot of the time as well. And then, they're also in the 90th percentile in non-corner threes at 32.6% of their total field goal attempts. Like they're, they're hitting above the break threes, just coming off of pick and rolls, pulling up, knocking them down, spreading out the defense a lot, which gives you those driving lanes to, to penetrate to the rim. And then if you're playing with a guy like Zeller and Hayward and Bridges, Bridges can, you can throw the ball off of the ceiling and he'll still go get it. Zeller can finish at the rim and he can, you know, do all the, the glue guy screening pivoting ceiling all that kind of thing and then obviously Hayward and Terry are really good shooters too so I think that lineup once like Monk and Ball develop a little bit more as finishers and just players generally that lineup the combination with them too is going to like really hurt some defenses and cause them to spread out way more than they would normally have to especially given how like the the Hornets personnel the last few years, like you didn't have to use guard the Hornets like this and like really make sure that certain guys weren't scoring. You just had to play good defense and the team would lose because Kemba was the only one that could put the ball in the hoop. But now the way that they want to play is becoming much more realized, I think. And that's only going to get better from here on out. So are you saying that long-term you would, you would have Malik Monk and Lamelli ball to be your kind of like your, your backcourt of the future? I, I think so. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I've been wavering on this one for a while cause I love Devante and I love Terry as well. Like I all, I, if it were up to me and you know, basketball chemistry and on court things didn't matter. I would sign all of them to a max contract for like 10 years and just keep them forever, but that's not possible. So we gotta, you know, I, I we gotta make our choices here. And I do think that Monk's combination of playmaking, shooting, athleticism as well. And, improving defense is like right this second probably the best fit next to Lamelo. and this doesn't really I've, I've never take stock into this stuff because Michael Jordan is a gazillionaire and he can pay whoever he wants however much they want but Malik probably comes at a cheaper salary figure than any of those three guys in an extension as well even though Devante's struggling I, I still think his value will be retained because his impact on the court is still noticeable even when he's not making shots that he used to make and those I think will start falling again yeah, if you had to make me pick right now, and it's, I, I think it's so hard. I mean, my first answer would be is don't, don't make me pick now. Like, yeah, right. Let's, yeah. let's play the second half of the season, get a better sample size, and let's like ask me in you know, three months. That would be my first answer. But if you're putting a gun to my head, I'd probably say it's Terry Rozier still, even though those on-off uh, net rating numbers aren't, aren't the best. I 
I, I think that's the way I'd go just because Terry has got better every year since being here. I was a very much a Terry skeptic from early on. And I, I, I love his kind of elite shooting and his ability to score down the stretch, which isn't something I think LaMelo right now has the actual nuance in his game, like get his own shot and score in like high leverage situations. I think Terry's probably is best at that. Maybe Malik as well. Yeah, but him I mean, being with- the most elite shooter is definitely like a huge case for him. That's for sure. Yeah, so I think I think that's where I'd I'd go, but I mean it's so it's so close. Like, yeah, like I don't. So yeah, I want all of them. I want all of them to play on the Hornets. Like <laughs> that's yeah. what it comes down to. So looking forward to the summer, that's obviously going to put some questions for Charlotte, and I'm just going to kind of give a a brief overview for those who who might not be as kind of up to date on like how the cap and things work. So going into the summer, Charlotte are projected to have roughly. 22 million in cap space okay and that's assuming that whenever anyone's a free agent both graham and monk are restricted free agents this summer you have something called a cap hold which is basically that if you you resign if you maintain the cap hold on your team the if you resign the player let's say you resigned uh Devontae graham for 10 million per year that would count against your total cap is the cap hold so Devonta Graham's cap hold is like four million all right around four million so even if you sign him for 10 this year he actually only counts as four um so looking forward to next year I think Devonte Graham's cap hold is around two to four million Malik Monk's cap hold is actually interesting it's, this, I found this listed differently in different places me too place, I, yes it was listed at 16 million somewhere else I found it listed yep. at 13 million Yep, exactly. So, I, and when I play 2K as well, it's 13 million. So yeah. not that that means anything because 2K is wrong all the time. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if that's to do with like incentive-based uh, statistics that he has to meet or something and it can go uh, up. To, but I, I don't know. Um, I've actually asked the question to a, a, to a cap guy, Nate Duncan. Um, I, I sent him an email to ask him to see if he can. So hopefully we'll have an update on that next week. But Going into that, that's 22 million, but that's including Devontae Graham's cap hold, not including Malik Monk's. So if you're adding Malik Monk's cap hold between 13, 16 million, something like that, we're looking at between six to eight million in cap space. You know, also we've got the the MLE, which is basically the, the team can use, which is basically you can spend 10 million per year on any free agent and it doesn't kind of count against the salary cap in quite the same way. It's like an exception that you can use. Um, so there's there's flex if you're basically tendering a qualifying offer and re-signing graham and monk you could do it and you would still have about five million in cap space and have the mle to add someone to your team uh now going into next year it starts to dig a little bit into your cap space but there's still a lot of money coming off the books with terry rosier and stuff like that so kind of what are your thoughts on how charlotte should handle i mean it's still early because things like things can change one injury how the second half of the season plays out, it's hard to kind of project so far down the line. But at this point, what are your thoughts on how Charlotte should handle this offseason? Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, I think right now, Terry makes 18 million. Like, if you had to, if you had to extend him this offseason rather than next, I think he's ob- he's clearly due for a raise. Like, I think that that he would be making more than what he's making now if he were to hit the market this summer. You'd probably have to pay like 21 million to retain him. So I feel like you can at least if he keeps it up, anticipate on that number going up if they want to keep him. Monk's number is obviously going up right now just because he's actually seeing the floor and playing well for the first time in his career. Like he had, that he would, I remember 
I think Rick Bennell said one time, this was a long time ago. I might not have been him as well. Someone said it, but that Malik, if he didn't like pick it up this year, he would have basically been in the same situation as Harry Giles, where he was playing for the minimum just to stay in the NBA at like 23, which is not good. Like no one, you're not good to be in that position. Now he's not, I don't know what he's going to make per year, but I would have to say it's around what his cap hold is like 13 million, maybe like 10, probably if, if it's a shorter term deal or long or longer term, I mean, short term, he might make more money. And then Devante, I would say is probably like 12 to 15 is like his, his range. So I think like the, the Hornets are always one of those teams that's like mindful of the salary cap, but with the anticipation on how competitive they're going to be, it would honestly really upset me if they made decisions strictly based off of like, Oh, we have to be under the luxury tax at this year. Cause your best players on a rookie contract now is the only time you're going to have to spend so much money on like supporting players. When LaMelo is due for a, a contract extension, which we can assume is going to be large at this point, like you're not going to have nearly as much wiggle room to like resign these guys without like it's going to be a max. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I, without you're going to balloon into the luxury tax. I think Lamelo could like tear his ACL right for the next two years. I think you probably would still give him the max. Yeah, like, yeah, you probably would. It's like just, it's just locked in at this point, which is good because in a way, you you know that's going to be the case so many years out. Like, yeah, and you can pl- you can plan for it exactly. Exactly, like, it makes it way easier to do that exactly. and like if they're still operating on like planet being like our best players on a rookie contract are you know currently second best player probably third fourth best player gordon hayward by the time the contract's over he's signed for four years a lot of our other good players are on rookie contracts like pj miles if they like they basically need to go into the saddle like into the luxury tax or at least not have cap space anymore to retain all of the necessary players that they need to like keep their core together and i like i'm hopefully that that's not like how the decision is made like we like they're taking basketball out of it they're like okay Devonte's going to make this much malik's going to make this much terry's going to make this much which are we going to keep it from there they definitely need to shift gears per se and like make the decision based on like playing basketball and not care about going over to the luxury tax michael jordan's always said he'll pay for a winner you're about to get a winner buddy we got to pay for it. Like it's, it, it's going to, it's going to have to happen. Like they're going to go over the salary cap in, if not next year, like without a doubt the year after that, having to extend miles. So like yeah, you got, I, you got to pay these guys. Like you might as well just do it. Like, you know what I mean? And that's without even like filling out the center rotation, which is Ex- either yeah, exactly. signing Cody Zeller or Sean Holmes or, you know, whoever yeah. else is out there. Yeah. Like uh, the MLE will probably be used for something like that when they go over that cap, because that's, I feel like that's, especially recently, that's kind of how teams acquire their centers. Like Boston has Tristan Thompson on the MLE, like uh, the lots Robin of Lopez. Other, yeah. Robin Lopez. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like that's, and with the Hornets drafting two second round centers, I feel like that's how they're going to address that as well just by not spending money on that position but i think that that leaves them room to pay their their guards which is also the most important position on the team so and again it's it's about asset management so let let's say that the team do just like it's clear by the end of the season you know what malik monk or Devontae graham they are the odd one out right they they need to move well that doesn't mean just like let them go in free agency you Mm -hmm. either like i don't think you you could trade them at deadline but let's assume that they're still here at free agency 
you re-sign them and then you can move them down the line if you need to. Like yep. I-, I was looking through the list of teams with cap space. I'm like, who could really throw like large money at Devontae Graham or Malik Monk to a point that you would like not want to re-sign them because the value of the contract is like, let's say Malik got three years, 60, okay, 20 mil per year. And you go, wow, Malik's not even going to start for Charlotte. Can we really pay him 20 million per year? But here's the list of teams with cap space at the moment. And this isn't to say this list can't change because people can make trades at the draft of the deadline. But you've got Chicago, right? They've got Kobe White. You know, he, he looks pretty kind of locked in there, but maybe. You've got Dallas, Miami, OKC, San Antonio. And like, I don't think any of those guys are great fits with those. The big one, I think, is New York. And they've got 50 million in cap space. And Malik Monk went to Kentucky and New York is becoming, you know, Kentucky North, like with, uh, with the Leon Rose and Worldwide Wares and everything. They will know Malik well. And that's one that, that does worry me that they could have a lot of cap space and they could throw a, a boatload at Malik knowing him well. And I think they're probably the only team I really worry about maybe going after Malik Monk hard this offseason. And this is the potential benefit maybe by Devontae Malik only playing small minutes for the remainder of the season. They're not, they're not going to kind of be putting up gaudy numbers like because they're only going to be playing 20 minutes per night. So that kind of helps maybe depreciate that value a little bit more, which might actually make re-signing them a little bit easier. So for me, I think let, we don't need to answer the question now. Let's right now, my answer would be re-sign them both. Uh, let's kick it down the road. Like things will become clear, maybe through injury, um, maybe another move comes up. Maybe Terry Rozier wants to leave in free agency because he, uh, I don't know, gets a big offer sheet or something like that. Then you've got those three guards there. So I think it's it's resign, kick the can down the road. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. That's not, especially being able to trade them in the future. We've seen that any contract in the NBA can be moved nowadays if you just willing to you know put a conditional first round pick on it or second round on it or something like that find it hard to believe they wouldn't be able to trade them if they re-signed them both and then needed to move somebody. So I, I'm with you that that's definitely the best option right now because you need good guards, like more than you need. You basically need a star wing and a bunch of good guards if you want to have a good basketball team. And the Hornets are like uh, on their way to having all those things. And it would be unfortunate to see them lose some of those players. But I mean, it's going to happen eventually, but definitely got to wait until you have to make that decision, I feel exactly. like. Exactly, yeah. So we're going to wrap up the first half of the show right now, and we'll get into a quick ad break before we come back with a guest appearance from Hornets Film Room. See you guys in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to At The Hive Live. I am your host, Chase. I'm still with James. And for the second half of today's show, we have a guest, Hornets Film Room. His Twitter handle is at Film Hornets. He is the host of At The Buzzer podcast, a Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Hoopheads Pod Network. And how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. 
Oh, well, thank you for coming on. It, it's great to have you on. I, I've been following you on Twitter since the season began. Your clip breakdowns of everything that happens throughout the games are, are very educational. I really enjoy watching them. So I appreciate you doing those, first of all. because It takes a lot of work to do those. And going back and sifting through all that stuff, it, I, we, we, all, we all appreciate it very much. Hey, I've actually had a ton of fun doing it this year, which is uh, this first year doing it for me. And uh, I appreciate you watching it, checking it out. And I hope uh, other people get something out of it. Yeah, so Jim, it's actually interesting because I had the idea of creating a Hornets Film Room Twitter account like a few years ago now, because it was around the time we started to see them pop up for other teams. And I thought, oh, that's a cool concept. And it's a great way of like educating people and stuff. But then I like looked into the amount of time and effort it would take to actually do it. And I was like, oh man, that's for someone else to do. Someone else can set that up. So I'm glad that you finally managed to do that uh, from this year. All it takes is a global pandemic and you really get a <laughs> clear calendar to do a lot of things like this. So, Yeah, I definitely understand that. I see that uh, you said you meant the account, you just started doing it this year. I see the account says join November 2020 when I'm looking at your Twitter right now. How did you get into this? What kind of, I guess what kind of background do you have in it as well? Because I assume that you didn't join November 2020 and then were able to identify all these basketball plays right off the bat. So. No, not at all. Yeah, I've been like watching basketball pretty intently for the past five years. The 2011 Bobcats team was the first like NBA team I watched very like in depth specifically. Uh, I was I went to UNC, so I like grew up like watching a lot of UNC basketball, and uh, I read a profile about Bismack Biombo pre draft, and I was like, this guy sounds incredible, and uh, went and then Bobcats drafted him. Like, you know what? I'm gonna give this team a shot. The first game. We beat the Bucks like 81, like 78. Biz had like a block to win the game right at the end. Um, and uh, been a Hornets Bobcats fan ever since. I think the 2011 year was like the year that Kwame Brown started for the Hornet, for the Bobcats. Uh, hey, I did the reverse one there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> started for the Bobcats. And that was like, the Kwame Brown was the return to Michael Jordan. He drafted him in like Washington. It was terrible. And he was no one will ever remember that Kwame Brown was actually good for the Bobcats that year. Yeah, he was not bad. I don't think he was on that 2011 team unless I'm like misremembering. Cause that like that team was the one I'm talking about with like Corey Maggette was on it. Uh, like Derek Brown, Byron Mullins. Um, I might be misremembering the date if it was like 2011 or 2012 when I first started watching them. It was whatever Kimbo's rookie year was. Uh, that was 20, 2011, 2012. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking at 2011 from the previous season. So totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest part about the, about covering the NBA. I've noticed is that it doesn't happen in one year. Like <laughs> I, I've, I've always wished they could change the calendar around. So you can just say 2019, 2020, 2021, instead of having to go back and sort through all the half season stuff. But I don't think we're going to get a change to that anytime no. soon. I, I always remember the, uh, the discussion about the Bayombo pre-draft workout where he played against a chair and he lost, which is where I think that <laughs> phrase was first made. And it, all the executives were watching, I think in Treviso, I think he did a workout in Treviso, Italy. And, um, but yeah. Anyway, also want to kind of tell us a little bit about your At The Buzzer podcast. So was that someone else that you started up just this year? Or has that been running for a while? And, and who, who else are you on that with? And, and where can people listen to it? Yeah, so that is kind of like I basically inherited the podcast. Uh, Matt Wadley, who uh, got started the podcast and then got a promotion at his job and was basically, I was his first guest and he's like, do you want to take the pot over? And I was like, yeah, I guess, you know. So uh, 
we've just done i've just done one episode with james view of uh swarm and sting but uh hoping to have more podcasts uh probably do them once a week would love to have either of you two on at some point in the near future if you're available oh ab- absolutely and speaking of james we got we could get james on here as well because james is another knowledgeable basketball fan us hornets fans all right, we're we're a smart bunch. I, I'll 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 toot our own horf, horn here for a little bit. I, we're we're yeah. definitely one of the. Yeah, Hornets Twitter has been great. It's like uh, I post on Real GM for a bunch of years, and uh, the quality of discourse is definitely heightened more doing it on this Twitter account and interacting with people who really like. A lot of people just like watch Hornets games, which is totally cool. But if you're not watching the whole NBA, I feel like you're going to miss out a lot of context. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think that is a part of like being a Hornets fan and just like understanding their specific position in the NBA is like watching other teams and being like, okay, what I see on the Hornets is like, it compares to, you know, the bucks who are good in this way. And, you know, being able to co- take the things that they do well and compare them with the Hornets and all that. I think that it definitely helps you understand your own team more, just knowing what other teams are doing as well. Yeah. hundred percent. And I've got a lot of respect for uh, being on the real GM forum boards. That's like where the old, hardcore fans like Easter used to before NBA Twitter existed. Like that was where pe- the discussion happened was real GM forums. So I got a lot of respect for that. Yeah. It's just me and a bunch of like 50 year old white men who are really angry, you know, and like, was there, is that fat lever? Is he still knocking around? Fat, fat lever is still around. Yeah. He doesn't post as much anymore. I don't post like hardly ever there anymore, but I still, you know, will browse periodically, but yeah, he, him, like Lamar Matic uh, came out of there. Yes. Like, there's like a couple of people who like really know basketball. Um, yeah. I feel like less and less now, but uh, you know, it was still, I'm glad to have started posting there. and like, you know, 2011, 2012, that era. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great, man. So I know that your next, one of your next videos coming out is a video that discusses Miles Bridges playmaking improvements. That's something that I think, a lot of Hornets fans that like really watch the team, especially miles have noticed and have been like pretty excited about this year. That wasn't something he had really shown the ability to do consistently making the right decision and making plays for others that really, I really hadn't been a part of his game at all until this year. So what, what are your thoughts on, I guess, how he has developed that and what it could mean for him going forward with, with this wrinkle being added to his game now? Yeah, it's a great question. So basically for like context over the past, like week, I've watched every one of his assists, every one of his turnovers and tried to go back to any games where I remember certain like pop highlights with his passing. He's definitely improved a lot is kind of my big takeaway this season specifically for me, even going back, he was always pretty good straight line drive, draw help over dump off. He's been doing since his days at like uh, Michigan state, which I was able to like pull up some clips from that but he's gotten much better at it this year, but really it's the quick uh, decision-making that he's really progressed in. And that's been like really nice to see. I worry about his handle. I think his handle is just really loose and really weak. And that's where his playmaking is really kind of like capped on how useful it can be. Um, But it's been really exciting. And his like kind of rapport with Lamelo has been great. He's been throwing a ton of these like cross court passes, which he's never done before. He's got a high turnover rate, but if you like look at every one of his turnovers, most of them are not really bad. A lot of them, it's like there's two seconds left in the quarter and he's just trying to make a play. I think I counted like five different turnovers where he passed the ball to Biz and Biz, it just bounced right off his hands. And you can't, Only five? You can't, only five. Only five <laughs> miles turnovers. But it's just like, you can't blame him for that. So when you see his like stat line, it's like 
2.3 assists and 1.9 turnovers, whatever it is, it doesn't look great, but I think he's really improved in that area. And it's like something I was like, I think other people were interested in. I was like, okay, I want to see how exactly he's done that. Jim, you have to do a compilation video of all business dropped passes. I'm being serious. Okay, <laughs> I can do. I did. Uh, I did go through all of business assists so far this year. I was like, oh, I wonder if I can make a Bismack like. Well, this might take a little bit longer bit. than the assists. <laughs> <laughs> like, but that would be. I could see like that going viral on like NBA Twitter. Just like this is a video of all business like 200 drops this year. Like that'd be great. Uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good idea. Yeah, um, probably wouldn't take that long to throw together either. So I'll definitely look into that. Because I remember JB talk just back on Miles. I remember JB talking. He was asked after a game about Miles Bridges passing. I remember him talking about that was like one of the biggest progressions of any individual player, um, like just personal development, like since last season. And he was absolutely like thrilled with that. And I think it was something that him and the coaching staff had been working on. And I think it's helped that he's played more power forward and he's been more on that kind of like short role and, and making those passes. But I also remember in the Buzzbeat podcast when Miles went on, he talked about really like making flashy passes and he kind of laughed as he said it. And it kind of, I do get that with Miles. There's, there's a lot of stylish assists. Yes, I think yes, sometimes he could just like, that he misses the basic assists because he tries to do something like funky with like a one-handed like cross court or something like that. I just feel like his assist numbers should be better than they are. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, going back to what you said, the short roll is where he's really excelled and something that I would like to see him do more because like in a short roll situation, he really only has to put the ball on the floor once, maybe twice. So his handle like weaknesses is really mitigated and his like vision and like playmaking can really excel. Um, Every short roll position uh, possession I saw him in, I was like, wow, he looks great. The thing is, he's like a little small. I think he should be playing the four. And I'm glad he's like finally locked into that position. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good point where he does throw some flashy stuff. He also likes to jump and then throw passes yes, like when it's yes. not even needed. It looks very cool because he gets really high in the air. But it's just like that leads to so many more turnovers, like or potential turnovers, because if he doesn't get the ball out, it's really trouble. But f- fun to see. He's a very aesthetically pleasing player to watch i'm glad that you've noticed the jump passes too i feel like especially in transition he, mm-hmm. le- he leaves i mean he's he should be leaving his feet in transition because he can jump really high but with the ball in his hands he seems to do that a lot more than it's necessary and i'm also glad you brought up his pick and roll playmaking because not i think his short roll ma- uh, playmaking has improved a lot him as a ball handler in screens i think has improved quite a bit yeah i don't think he gets a ton of reps in it obviously because there are a lot of players that are better at it than him on the hornets but like there i think that at a certain point he'll be able to you know get get like a side pick and roll with pj or zeller or something and just kind of take the ball to the rim and he's improved a lot as a live dribble passer with one hand either hand really because he's a lefty and he can pass with both hands pretty well but I think that like someday I think he'll be pretty effective in the pick and roll in pick and roll situations, whether it's a short roll. And I think he'll be a ball handler in a pinch too. Obviously it's not like something you're going to design, but if you need him to do it, I I think he can. Yeah. I think it's more of a, like a last resort type situation where he gets the ball in the corner with like seven seconds left and you kind of set that side pick and roll. Right. Um, I don't think it'll ever be like his main weapon because I I just think the handle is a little too loose, but compared to where he was last year, I was really low on miles. uh, Just so you guys are aware, like I was ready to be like defensively. I thought he was just so bad and he just like really hurt us there. 
but he's he improved think, a lot defensively. He, didn't think. he was bad. He, he was, was bad. <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was quite bad. He, he just like, uh, he sort of freezes sometimes. It's just like the processing speed was like a little too slow. And it's like, he has this great athleticism, but if you're too slow getting over, it doesn't matter how athletic you are. If you can't quite make that, like you lose that half second. Yeah. So I was just curious, like what, what kind of get, there's so many things you could like make a clip of. Could you talk a little bit about like your, your process of how you make the videos, any kind of ideas you've got on other things at the back of your mind that you want to look kind of have your eye on to make a video on going forward? Yeah. So I guess for me, I just like, when I watch games, I'll just like take down notes. So the last like little clip compilation I posted was like LaMelo in like mismatch situations and him scoring over like switches. And I saw him do that on Mason Plumlee. I knew he did it some in the like Phoenix game, obviously down the stretch against Aiden. And I just went back through his last like seven or so games, seeing all the like times he did it. And I was like, oh man, he did like three times against uh, Bielitsa against the Kings. So it's basically just like watching games and being like, that's something interesting. I want to learn more. And I'm still just like, this is a beginning process for me. So learning more about kind of what I want to do. I'd like to do more stuff like deep diving into specific players. Like uh, I've watched a lot of like Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. And I would like to just do a video clip. Like I kind of had the idea of like the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, the old like Clint Eastwood Western movie and like play some Western music and really get involved with that. But uh, I think my video editing skills need a little more improvement before I can really go down that path. And when yeah. you're watching these games, are you are you like watching the when you go back and watch the six seven games? Do you watch the whole game, or do you have access to synergy or something where you can like hi, like watch those clips just in a row? Uh, I wish NBA.com pretty good. You can go back and like watch all the shots or all the assists. And if you like kind of deep dive into the site, you can be like all like possessions where someone scored in the paint, and you can kind of just download off there is mostly what I do. I'd love to get access to Synergy at some point, though. It seems uh, much easier. Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. That seems like it's a, a, a very difficult thing to get access to these days. So yeah, Synergy I don't, would be very helpful if you could just sign up for it, but I don't think you can. I sent them in like a, I tried to sign up and I like sent them an email being like, hey, I'm interested. How much would it cost? And they just never responded to me because I'm a nobody with 500 Twitter followers. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, but, you got to be uh, like yeah. work for the athletic or something to get a totally, synergy totally. membership. Someday though, we'll, we'll all get there eventually. Don't, no worries. <laughs> but for if, what would you say? Uh, you've been posting these these clips and highlights and on Twitter and for, for a very for the whole season now for we're going about six months into it. What would you say is the most popular one that you've posted so far? I would assume the ones that have the words Lamello or Ball <laughs> in them end up being more popular just a little bit just by default. But is yeah, there I haven't any, figured any out why, but yeah, Lamello seems to be very popular. Uh, <laughs> stuff with him. Uh, I think dunks tend to do pretty well as well. Uh, me breaking lot, down lot like. Too. Jackson Hayes is like floater game, you know, or something like that is not as popular, but uh, yeah, I think anything with LaMelo part of the reason I did this is because I was really high on him pre-draft and like watched a bunch of his Australia games. And I was like, this guy's incredible. And he's been way, way better than I would have expected. And part of it for doing this is just like, it's fun to be able to watch him again and again. And he plays so differently and you have to like watch the game a little differently than you would normally, because it's like, Deer and Fox is incredible to watch, but I like know how Deer and Fox succeeds. Where Lamelo, just with how he's sort of off kilter, you really have to like stop and like rewind like a play and be like, 
how did this work? How was he able to like draw so much attention and then just flick it backwards to Biz for like an easy lay-in? It was interesting. You talk about the time he switched on to Miles Plumlee in the Detroit game. I thought that was a really interesting play specifically because Miles Plumlee switched out and actually did really well at the, the first part because kind of Melo like drift like dribbled right into him. Mm-hmm. And at that point, so many rookie guards, 99% would pick up the dribble because they basically run into a seven-foot brick wall and they've lost a little bit of balance and they pick up the dribble because it's a safe thing to do. Mel, like Melo somehow managed to like kind of got knocked back and while doing it kind of did a behind the back, which just sent it like Mason Plumley like miles away. And then he would dribble to the rim and he like finished at the rim. And I just thought that just shows like one, how like tight his handle is and just how much confidence he has that even like when he gets pushed off his spot, he's not just kind of killing the possession and just like playing safe. He's always going to try and do something to get out of it. And that's, that's what like the best players do. They just find a way to adjust. Yeah, he is a real savant, you know, like calling him a basketball genius, I think is totally fair. He got a lot of like, I'm sure you guys watch like the Mike Schmidt's like play breakdown with him, where he kind of like he came across like pretty unerudite, just like, oh, yeah, um, the guy was open. So I passed it to him <laughs> and he got a lot of like, uh, like crap for that. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Um, and because of that, I think people didn't realize how smart of a basketball player he is, because it's just like someone can be a, like incredible artist or incredible musician and not be able to like explain it in like layman's terms why what they did was incredible and I think that's how he plays basketball he's not able to explain step by step how he came up with everything but his ability just to do it on the court is kind of magic and he's smart enough to know you don't have to give a detailed explanation every time totally totally he's been been coached his whole life (laughs) with this media stuff he's not giving away any of his secrets just to to mike schmitz for a youtube video as much as mike is a great guy and i'm sure Lamelo got along with him uh he probably probably wasn't gonna go go up there and map out his on-court decision making just because he doesn't seem like the type of guy that's ever going to give you a very long answer but it, it, I, it's interesting that you were also very high on him. I as well was I thought he was like the clear number one player in the draft and, you know, best, most all-star potential, all that kind of stuff. But it seems that literally every single person that had that is still like, damn, this guy is extremely, extremely good. What would you like? What were your expectations for him going into the season? Like what is like like I, I, I was like, if this guy shoots 35 percent from three finishes somewhat efficiently and just plays like keeps his style of play and his improvisational passing, then that'll be fine. But he's clearly blown those expectations away. What, what, but what did you think going into the season would have been like a acceptable rookie year for Mello? I thought he was going to be way worse. I, I think I said like 12 points, five rebounds, five assists on like 40, 30, 70 shooting. Like I had very low expectations. I really thought he was going to be bad in his rookie year. And what sort of surprised me the most is one, his like ability to like score at the rim, which like he has like great touch, but in the NBL, he like really struggled with it. Uh, I thought his shooting, I don't think he's like a 38% shooter. I would be really happy if he finishes above 35% at this year, but if he's at 35%, that is like, it opens up so much of his game and defensively he's been bad, but he plays with a lot of effort, which he didn't do in NBL. And that just, matters it matters a lot and it matters for his like ultimate upside um also i think it makes teammates like appreciate him more like it's not like trey young where he's like giving up on a lot of possessions 
Mello like ball watches, he rotates poorly, but he's never not running out there. He's never, he dives on the ball, like dives on the ground for balls. Um, I guess it's like the effort stuff has surprised me the most. In addition, his rebounding has been just so, so excellent. Like I've not seen a, like a rookie guard rebound like him ever. And like with his three-point shooting, can, can anyone remember when Mello took a three that wasn't like four feet behind the three-point line? Because yeah, it seems a- like every one he takes is, is just miles back. I can't remember the last time he took like a regulation three. It's a great point. He shoots better the farther out he goes. I like have been watching that throughout the season. I think it's because he, one, has a little bit more space. So defenders aren't going out to guard him that deep. But also his feet get a little more set and he uses his legs a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Where like he's definitely, his lower body's improved throughout the year. Uh, but like when he is like closer to the line, he uses more of his arms. But the farther back, he gets more set and does his little hop jump. And I think that might be helping his percentages, but I'm not like a shot doctor. That's totally just what I have watched in film. I don't know how true that is. I I had a tweet uh, during their game against Detroit. I think right now, LaMelo's like lower body shooting mechanics and how he sets his feet on, especially off the catch. Like that might be his biggest weakness. Obviously he's like not a good defender, but he's also like a 19 year old rookie. So with the flashes that he's shown, we can assume that he'll be better at that at some point, but like, I definitely think for him to maximize his shooting potential, which I, like you guys said, probably ends up still regressing a little bit, even if he does like, quote unquote, get better at it, like him straightening out, like how he plants his feet, especially off the catch and goes up on balance is going to be huge for him. Cause it's, it, he doesn't really like have a consistent base on any jump shot yet, unless he's like, you guys have said, he's like wide open four feet beyond the arc and can just really like set and plant himself. And those go in a lot. Like the, the most of the time that he's like really set and can just let it fly. They, it goes in like the ones that get to get him into trouble are when his feet are really close together or he like falls back and lands on like the wrong foot or something after coming off of a, a floater or a jump shot. What, what do you, do you think that that's like something that he's going to have to work on and is a correctable issue for him? Or do you think it's kind of just part of his mechanics at this point? I think his lower body can definitely be changed. He's like spoken. He's like, I'm not going to change my shooting motion, but I think he's largely referring to his like upper body. He like kind of puts his elbows like flared out, which is like obviously pretty unorthodox. I think his, he's gotten better with his lower body movement throughout the year, but it's certainly a big issue. And like, sometimes he falls forward. Sometimes he falls back. He like will kick out sometimes like with either foot. It's like kind of insane. If you watch all his three pointers back to back. Um, but I think it's something he definitely could improve. And with his touch, I feel confident that he can be at least an average shooter, if not like a slightly above one for his career as like a medium outcome. Yeah, and I, I think for me, Chase, I think the biggest, for me, the biggest thing he needs to work on is like the in-between game. So it's between the rim, the threes, like I, I can't remember that. He's got that flow to which he sometimes goes to. And it, it's weird because like Melo will go like, two games without taking one of those floaters and then I'll do it like three times in a game. And I, I don't always feel like the defense is playing him any differently. And it seems like it just kind of comes and go as a feeling, like if he feels right, but it's just like scoring in that middle area, like the kind of Donovan Mitchell, Luca, how they score in the mid range, because I know people say mid range is dead, but it's really never been dead for like stars for like guys who handle the ball a lot. The mid range is still a vital part of the game more for the role players. It's just kind of rim and threes and, I remember he had that one move pretty early in the season, I want to say, where he had like a, a spinning jump shot and he kind of put it on the floor and behind his back from like about 15 feet out. 
And that was like the only one of the only kind of like mid-range shots that I can really remember him making. And I, I think that's where I think he needs to improve his game. It's just that in-between area. I was going to ask you guys if you can remember off the top of your head him taking like like a non-floater or like runner mid-range there shot. Was, there I, was I one. really can't. Like I don't, I, I don't even remember that one. Like I think it was against the Pelicans, you know. I think it was against the Pelicans really early um, on that national TV game. I but. believe he had he had one against the Pelicans. I think he had one against the Bulls as well. But it's like, yeah, it's like literally like I think only two or three shots that are like mid-range shots. And I think it's a great yeah. point that the mid-range game really matters if you're a primary ball handler. And that's something I I don't know. I what do you guys think? Do you think that's something he can develop? I worry with how his shooting form is that he's never going to be able to like shoot pull-ups because of how his release comes out. Um, the floater has been great. I love his floater. I think it's very fun to watch, but it's like, even if he's shooting 45%, which I think he's above that right now, that's still not an ideal shot. And I worry about his like scoring upside in that in-between range. I think that is a great point of like a huge weakness in his offensive game right now. What do you, Um, what do you think, James? You can go first. I'm not saying I'm not saying Lamelo can't do anything. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's a good bet. To, that's, that's my that's my approach. Like, yeah, sure, he can figure it out. Like, he can start shooting from half court, and I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, um, no, I I think it is an area of concern. Like, for me, it's like another area. Like, I'd be. I think this will come years down the line. But Lamelo must get so many mismatches playing point guard. Like, I'd love to see Lamelo try and develop a post game down the line, and I think that's. That's something he doesn't need to worry about for two, three years. But once defenses get used to playing him, that's something I'd love to see him develop. And like, I don't understand with his length why he, and touch why he couldn't like get like kind of post up a guard 15 feet out on like the kind of the block and the little turnaround hook shot. Like it's weird and it's not very modern, but I, I do think that could be potentially something for him to go to. And I think he could draw fouls on a large majority of those possessions and, and pass out of those double teams as well because he's got that passing vision. Yeah, I think like I'm I'm with you, Jim. That his like his form might just not really be conducive to that. Like, it's because how like how like it, most of the time those are pretty contested, if not like entirely contested, where the guy is like right in your face. He doesn't really have like an off the dribble shot form that will allow him to get off clean looks right in some or when someone's right in his face very often. So I think like what James said, it's going to rely on him just getting good at it and just having like insane touch in that area. And like, he probably won't have the traditional, like just, you know, off the drip, like, like Kawhi or Jason Tatum or somebody like that, that can just pull up and shoot from there. Like their normal jump shot. And it looks completely fine. He'll probably have to mix in some weird, like floaters, like half floater, half jump shot things. Like kind of like what he did in at the NBL when he would just let it fly from the elbow. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that he's ever going to be like a mid-range shooter or like really good at it. But I do think that everything else will probably get to a level where it's so good that that like doesn't quite matter that much. But it is important for him to get better at it, at least as someone who's like just going to have the ball in his hands all the time. Because you, that's very important for especially guards and lead ball handlers to be able to score from all three levels. Yeah, I'd love to see him at a post-up game. Like that—that that makes the most sense for how funky his game already is. If he's like the six foot six, six foot seven, like kind of slight guard posting up, uh, I'd be all for it. That uh, that would be fun. I, I wonder if they do that. I'm sure they do in practice. Like just watching him post up, like Hayward or something, or like Miles in practice would be very funny to watch because not only he's he's given up a ton of strength, 
but like he has the the smarts and wherewithal to to still yeah. make up for that so that those battles would probably be really fun to watch in practice and i wonder I, I think, if he'll get reps doing that in games at some point yeah i, th- I think the strength is probably the biggest reason he's not right now because yeah. i think people just like push him away but that's why i think like down like that once he's kind of mastered the other areas of the game which there's no reason to believe that he won't like that just seems like a natural place for him to develop because he's always going to have a size mismatch. He's going to be able to pass out the post um, and he's got touch on that flow to which you think would translate in form of a, some like hook shot type form. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting watching that kid over the next however many years. Yeah, we've definitely, definitely got a good one on our hands. I, I, I'll go as far to say that. So just, just before we get out of here, Jim, we every time we have a guest come on, we get a, a bold second half of the season prediction. Um, so we, we want to get that from you. What is your bold second half of the season prediction? Uh, we talked a little bit on Twitter. I think we are not going to make the playoffs. That's uh, my, my hot take. I don't think we're quite good enough to do it. I think we've been like our point differential. We're like 10th in the East. I think we make the play-in tournament losing the play-in tournament is where I kind of expect us to end up we've been pretty lucky with like COVID injury stuff and I think if like let's say like Gordon Hayward goes out with like COVID or some other injury for the second half of the season I think there's no way we make the playoffs um so that is my bold take is like we are not as good as we kind of think we are at this point I think that's like the best case scenario for like the general future of the franchise I, I do too yeah yeah like they they really like they need depth. Like obviously they're not gonna, you know, f- jump up to three again and be like, oh, well, can we get Jalen Green or Evan Mobley or something? But like they do need more good role players. Like at this point, like this, I think this has a lot to do with them not being good enough. The Martin twins are good players, but they can't be your eighth man if you want to win in the playoffs. Like they need enough to be able to dr- maybe get one more shot in the draft at getting that guy that can play on the wing or as a big or something and come off the bench reliably. And that's on the same timeline as LaMelo too. So I thought that would be I, like, I, I know a lot of people would probably be upset with that. And I would be too, like partly just cause you know, it's fun to see the Hornets win basketball games, but it's also fun to see the Hornets uh, build a sustainable winning basketball team. And I think like that, them making the play in and losing would be basically the best scenario that they can do for building a sustainable winner. Yeah. I got a question for you guys. In two years, so let's say Melo's third year, who on the current roster is most likely to be a second option on a deep playoff team? Let's say like Eastern Conference Finals. Is it like 32-year-old Hayward? Is it like you're expecting P.J. Washington to make a leap, Miles Bridges, whoever? Who is the most likely for you guys in that regard? Wow, that's a really good question. I I think I know mine pretty clearly, so I'll go if Chase is... Tearing yeah, his head can, out, yeah, trying to figure out. I, um, I think it's P- I think it's PJ Washington. Um, I, I think him clearly. I think Hayward probably in the running, but I I think PJ. And we've seen it flashes at times this year, and we've just not been enough consistency. And it was it was actually interesting after the Detroit game. JB said that he felt it was probably one of PJ's best games on the year for both ends of the court, and he kind of said that he can feel like he's really turned a corner. And he, he didn't say this, but. I basically feel like PJ might have not been quite as professional in the off season or in the start of training camp. Like he came in looking a bit heavy. Um, and he just kind of said like the way he's carrying himself now, he's really excited because he thinks he's ready to, to do that on a regular basis. So I'd probably say, and I agree with that. He's, I think he's the second best prospect on the team. I'd say PJ Washington. I definitely think he's the second best prospect on the team too. 
it's just hard. Like I love PJ. He's really good. But I think that if you're talking about like this team is the, in the Eastern conference finals, like I think he's probably like your third option ideally. And unless your first option is like really, really, really good, which could happen with LaMelo, not going to rule that out. But I think like that, that's the missing piece for the Hornets right now is that second option that pairs with LaMelo and they can kind of just go back and forth deferring to one another based off of who's having the better game, who has the hotter hand and all that. Like, I think that along with just addressing the center position and choosing between Graham Monk and Rozier long-term, that's like the most important thing. Cause right now that guy's Hayward, but like you guys said, it, it is a 32 year old Hayward going to be the second best player on your team. Like, like not not ideally if your team is really good most likely because unless his his game just ages perfectly and he doesn't drop off like he's probably only scoring like 17 points per he's probably similar production to what he had in boston and that was a fourth option so i do think they need to acquire probably gonna have to bring someone in to fill in that second option but if i had to pick one it would probably be pj and it'd be pretty close with him and Monk, I think, just based off of who is like going to be here long term and has the most potential. I don't think I don't think it's as likely that Monk gets to that ceiling, but I think he certainly could if he kept it up. Yeah, definitely. Like I for me, I it's between PJ and Monk for me. And I think PJ is much more likely to be a solid third like option guy than Monk is to be a solid, like it should be a good second option. Yeah. But I think Monk's ceiling is still higher than PJ's. Um, but I'm not as like Malik Monk is like a guy we need to pay, you know, 20 million a year for, you know, four years or whatever that some people are. Um, but I do think if one player on the roster is going to get to be like a solid second option, I think it is probably Monk. Um, though I like PJ way more as a prospect and I agree his Detroit game was like excellent like even better than his 40 point game in some ways Um, he's also like quietly shooting 39% from three this year which I think is worth shouting out yeah it is because Pete because with the way that he started I mean not that he was ever shooting like absolutely terribly but he had a, a rough start to the year and I think people got like like people haven't reverted back to as high as they were on him coming after after last season as they are now just because of how bad he was or for a few games at the beginning of the year coming off of a pandemic and his second season, you know, the guy had a long list of excuses, honestly, for struggling a little bit out of the gates and he's turned it around. So I, I, I we definitely need to give him the credit for doing so because the Hornets wouldn't be as good if he like, they need him really badly to be a good player. Are we sure if the Hornets are in the Eastern conference finals in two years, which feels weird to say that Lamelo isn't the second option, like, because Lamelo isn't a go-to scorer in the tradition of your like your first option. He, he's not like a right Lamelo go out and get as a bucket here. He's he's incredible, but like you look at the books, like is he the different types of player? But in terms of role, like Giannis is the primary option, but you got like Chris Middleton is a like really good next option or a Drew Holiday. Like I, I think he can be a better player, but I just I don't know if he's going to be a go out and a get as a bucket type player because like you said. That, that mid-range game is so important. The pull-up shooting isn't quite as good as it is off the catch. Um, I, I wonder if there's, you know, it would have to be another blockbuster move if it, if the team were to be in the, that deep. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think ideally Lamelo is your number two guy. I just think it's going to be too hard for us to find it given what our assets are currently. And like, this is part of the reason like the Hayward signing worked in some ways, but it's just like, 
man, how good would it be to have like a Kaminga add an Evan Mobley, a Jalen Green, whoever you have at the top of the draft to pair with LaMelo? Um, that could potentially be that 1A, 1B. But uh, I think you're right. I think ideally LaMelo is the second best player. I just don't think he's going to have that opportunity. I think he's going to have to be our top guy within the next five years because of how we've managed our roster. That's a good point. I think that he could be like, this is a hard thing to balance, but I think that eventually we could get to the point where he's like the best player, but the number one scoring option is someone else. Like I think at times that happens in games where Rozier's playing really well, like LaMelo will be, I guess the, the, especially on offense, like the most impactful player on the floor, just with the way that he moves the ball. But Rozier is the one that's hitting all the threes just because LaMelo, like, like he's not a go-to scorer. I don't, he, he I'm not going to say he never will be, but he likely won't be like among the most potent scorers in the NBA. And like, that's what you need to be an Eastern conference finals team. So that, that, that's going to be a fun thing to watch them going forward is how they fit the pieces around LaMelo in this timeline. Cause they need guys that are around that same age. And while he's on his rookie contract, like, we talked about this earlier in the show, but this is the best time that they have to add those kind of guys and find out how they fit in. And because once he is starting to make money, like the ways to build the team just shrink by a significant amount. So that's, it's going to be fun to watch them kind of put the pieces together over the next probably calendar year between now and the next trade deadline is probably when they would have to really make a decision on when they're going to try and start winning. All right. And I guess that will wrap the that show up for us. You, you got any other questions you want to throw out there, James? Uh, oh, excuse me. No, oh, I'm go. good, but it sounds like Jim might have something. Yeah, you got oh, something. I, my first name is James, so I just thought you were calling me James for some reason, and it kind of <laughs> that, threw me that, off. We, so. I guess that's a good – we should have clarified that at the, at the beginning of the show. I that's go by funny. Jim, but James, people have called me James, so it sort of threw me off there. That's my bad. Oh, no, you're completely fine. I'd never – that did not compute in my head beforehand. That's that's completely my fault. I mean, we, we have spoken for like 45 minutes here, so, I mean, we can call you James now, so like, <laughs> we're obviously best buds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, yeah, do if either of you guys want to get any Hornets thoughts out there before we wrap things up here? I, this, you you got the floor. My I only thing I'm... is, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can tell Jim watched the Bobcats because much like me, he's like a. I get the feeling like he's a glass half empty kind of guy when like looking at the success of this team, like saying I don't think we'll be a playoff team. That's like how I always go because I'm not used to having nice things as a Charlotte fan being over the last few years. So I, I just thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you. I feel like I've just been hurt too much to uh, accept that we might be a playoff team this year, you know? Yeah. But uh, I just want to say, you guys, this show has been excellent. Your guys' Vooch discussion last week I thought was really enlightening. And uh, I just wanted to shout you guys out that as a, a listener, I really enjoyed it. And I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you so much, man. That 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 means a lot. We've We've been putting a lot of work into this podcast to get it going because neither of us have actually hosted one before and uh, that uh, we appreciate you listening and, and anybody else that's listening right now as well we appreciate all of you thank you man if you want to plug your uh twitter and 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 podcast and anything else that you want people to be able to find you at right now that you, you can go right ahead with people can go yeah. follow you on wherever they need to yeah follow me at film hornets for uh you know Hornets clips and breakdowns. Uh, also, I host the At the Buzzer podcast um, and listen to that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, well, thank you again you. for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, and that was a another episode of At the Hive Live. 
I am your host, Chase. We are with two Jameses right now, and we will see you on the next episode.